live from Flamingo in Paradise, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield from Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. You heard it, Silver 7's. Join A-Play. Play the machines, play the tables. They've got great gifts and perks, including the Sunday gift giveaway. That goes from noon to 5 every Sunday. Cool prizes they give away. Uh, cooking theme, in this case, coming up, you can... Grab the jumbo roaster with the meat rack uh, later in the month. You got a uh, straining pasta pot, shovel skillets on October 14th. Uh, lots of rewards, lots of free stuff here from Silver 7. So this time each week we've been breaking down the opponents throughout the season for the UNLV football team. San Jose State is up today. We were just talking to Kevin Richardson, who's uh, still on the phone with us, and now we turn our attention, Kevin. Kevin's the uh, color voice for the Spartans, played his football at Stanford. Now we turn our attention to the gems on defense for San Jose. This is a really talented defense on the back end, but especially up front with Kyle Harmon at linebacker and Fajoko up on the defensive line and Cade Hall. This is a really special group. Yeah, they really are. You know, Kyle Harmon, a great story. Northern Cal guy, went to Cal Berkeley. Just didn't like it. 180 out of there and then showed up at San Jose State. And I remember the first spring he was on campus. Of course, being a former linebacker, that's kind of how I watched the game, unfortunately. But anyhow, showed up. And I remember asking Justin Allegri, my broadcast partner, I'm like, hey, who is that guy? Because that guy can really play. Oh, he's a transfer, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's at 340 career tackles right now. This will be his fifth season. Just a tough, just really good, you know, Northern California kid. Cade Hall, I keep saying this, if you love college football, then you love guys like Cade Hall. I think he had one offer out of high school, 220 pounds. Now he's a Paul Bunyan-esque 270. <laughs> he was he was hurt a lot of last year, so didn't play probably as well as he expected to. And I, I see that, you know, I, I, he's had a good offseason. I've heard that. And then, you know, Viliami Fajoko Jr., he goes by. Quite honestly, he's probably my favorite defensive player. He's just that he's just that surly guy on the defensive line. And I've always felt like defensive linemen, yeah, you you have to be tough, but very few of them are tough and tenacious, meaning, you know, you're tough at the point of attack, but are you playing that last down like the first down? And when the ball goes away, do you keep running and you know, take a shot at a guy that's trying to chip at you and, and keep you from getting into the play. And, you know, Junior just does not back off. He keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. And and it just seems like down the stretch, if you're looking for a guy to light somebody up, that it, it's him and he, he does a good job. Well, and the Rebels learned a lesson last year, but especially Cam Friel, who, you know, may be starting on October 7th uh, for a, a second time against San Jose State. You remember the end of the San Jose State UNLV game last year at the Al. Kyle Harmon, because protection wasn't set correctly by Friel, a freshman. Harmon came in on you know what was the final play unprotected. My lord, that was a hard hit. I I can't. Friel actually got up and tried to run another play. But I could not believe he could do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you know Cameron Friel. I'll be honest with you, he's my favorite when I look at the UNLV quarterbacks and and. Uh, you know, I'm a guy that had a 2020 high school quarterback, you know, my youngest son, Carl, who's at Northwestern. So these guys that are in the college system now, I, I've seen them at Elite 11. I've seen them at seven on sevens. And, and uh, I tell you, the thing I like about Cameron Friel, outside of the interceptions last year, 
is, you know, completing 62% of his passes, he gets that ball out quick. He really, he heaves it. You know, he looks a lot like Logan Bonner at Utah State, where it's not this big, long, you know, perfectly put together stroke. It's the ball is out. I think he does such a great job. So I'm not sure it's a it's a done deal at quarterback down there in the desert. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see who starts, but more importantly, who ends up playing at Sefcu Stadium up here in the Bay Area on a Friday night later on this year. Yeah, it's a really good uh, three-headed race with a Tennessee transfer in, Harrison Bailey, and then probably the most talented guy you know, running, throwing is uh, Doug Broomfield, but he's also got to stay healthy. So that's a big yeah. deal with uh, with Doug, who goes six six. So I got before we get you out of here. Kevin Richardson's with us. He played his football at Stanford. He's uh, one of the voices of San Jose State. I got to ask you a question about Stanford and the Pac twelve. So what are you thinking right now? What has been going on like the last four weeks since USC and UCLA bailed for the Big Ten, and then we got it's like every day there's an attack on the Pac twelve and the certainty of the conference moving forward. Yeah, and and it's always it's always an interesting discussion. I'm a financial advisor by day, so I talk to clients. And, of course, the beauty of that, a lot of your clients are your friends, and a lot of your clients have the same interests, and thus college football or football in general. But the, the, the thing that's made it so insane for me, I think, is when you're having that discussion, the first thing you have to say, with, say to people is, let's forget about – college students actually going to class and i don't mean that they're cheating or not going to class but remember they can do everything remote now post covid and so when you think of those usc ucla travel things that are going on and you're going wow i mean you're going you know all the way to new jersey for a game that's less of an issue for football than, I guess, all of the other sports, right? We could debate, you know, women's water polo. You're a Thursday at Penn State and a Saturday at, you know, Rutgers, New Jersey. Um, but people always want to talk about the student athlete, which we should be. But that's kind of less of a deal right now from a school standpoint. You get on a plane, you take your class remote. And, you know, the real thing that's driving this that really scares me is, the Big Ten commissioner and the SEC commissioner, they hold the future for Stanford, UNLV, San Jose State in their hands, right? I mean, they take a few more, this thing collapses pretty hard, right, in terms of the flow of the money. I've always felt like we were overweight in what we paid administrators and coaches. And if you look at what's going on, you're trying to right size it via NIL and all those different things. And, you know, when that free market starts to get into play, we start to learn that maybe what all but about 20 of the football programs in this country are subsidized. Right. Right. So I think we've got to make a decision right at, at the uh, at the at the uh, FBS level. Is, is football important to these institutions? Is it important to these communities? I say it is, as do you, I'm sure, right? But I, I think we want to be really, really careful because you could wake up and have 50 teams that are, you know, I, Rick Neuheisel, I think, says it really well. The networks are getting NFL caliber content at a rock bottom price on Saturdays, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what they care about. Yep. Uh, and that is what's driving this thing, unfortunately, I think. I hope we get it right. I, I always, uh, John Wilner up here at San Jose Mercury News and uh, College Hotline, I think is his deal. 
if, if somebody's looking for somebody that's pretty posted and talks to the right people on it, he's always got some pretty good uh, missives that he puts out there. Yeah, I think he and uh, John Canzano up in Portland have been kind of been the balance to all the stuff coming out of the Big 12 and the uh, the SEC. One last question, and I really appreciate your time today. Kevin Richardson with us. Um, one of the things I brought up is being in conferences with like-minded schools. Cal and Stanford are very proud academic institutions, and I'm still mind-blown by this fact that – there could be a day where maybe Cal and Stanford are playing Baylor and Kansas State if there were a merger that way. And I'm like, wait, the schools and those missions don't seem the same. But, you know, we had Rod Gilmore on about two weeks ago, and Rod went to Cal and Stanford. And Rod brought up the point, especially in the case of Cal, it's like, hey, at some point you either want to have sports and you want the revenue or you may be on the outside looking. Stanford's a different deal. I, I know the, you know, I know the endowment really isn't for sports, but Stanford is a little more sturdy financially. But just as a guy who went to Stanford, like, is that even a factor anymore? Like, you you want your school to be with like-minded schools? Well, I, that is the one thing that I know, and you know, I get asked the question a lot: who who in the Mountain West gets pulled in? And I, I'm always thinking, you know, the president of Stanford. Isn't going to sign up to be with an institution that doesn't offer a PhD, right? I mean, that's and that's uh, that's probably a non-starter in terms of you know where a place like Stanford goes. In that case, they've got some they've got some big and uh, big questions to answer, if you will, because you know as the the numbers start to gurgle to the surface from your tax return. You know, I remember the days of being a fan and a fundraiser for Stanford where Tyrone Willingham moved on to Notre Dame. And the discussion from the athletic director at the time was, as an institution, we will not get into an arms race like this (laughs) over salaries. And this is life changing money that Tyrone's going to get. And we just will not do that in athletics. Fast forward, (laughs) think about, you know, Jim Harbaugh shows up, you get into the Orange Bowl. Boy, you know, uh, applications for admission spiked to 52,000 that year. Uh, you know, the exposure is good. And I would say this, the part I've always loved about Stanford is you bring in athletes. And, and I think you'd agree. Athletes are at their core really good guys and work pretty hard. And I'm, I, would, I would say I would be one of those guys who probably didn't stand a chance applying just as a student back in the 80s. But you got me in, quote, via football, and I produced as well as anybody else on that campus. And so the part that they're doing there is awesome and all about the kids. It's, you know, now where are they going to go in terms of you're already paying big money to your to your, to your your head football coach. What are you going to do to preserve that schedule? And geographically for them, the tough one is all those, you know, we call them the Olympic sports. But do you want tennis going to Rutgers, New Jersey on a Tuesday? That's probably a no for them. And, and you know, those are all sports that are battling for a national title. So they've got a real problem in terms of, you know, obviously you want to try to keep the Pac-10 intact. But the arithmetic of the TV deals, where does that take them? And I think you've got to be thinking way outside the box. And Cal and Stanford, Cal's got a different set of problems, as you pointed out. But they – they sometimes struggle to look around that corner. I know when Bob Bowlesby showed up, Big Ten commissioner that's now retiring, when he showed up at San Jose, or at, at Stanford, he was the guy that hired Jim Harbaugh. I talked to him. I think he was first week on campus. I was involved in fundraising. 
And he was like, the focus will be on football because if we don't get football to work, we can't pay for anything else. Wow. And that was a big step. And, you know, a guy from Iowa that he knew how it worked and that's what happened. And now, you know, I think they really need to reassess where they sit and figure out, you know, how do you how do you continue to produce and, and, and get back into that top 20? That was a great spot. A lot of good information. We'll see you in October, okay? Thank you very much for having me. And, hey, good luck in your opener. And let's hope we're talking about Jeff Weimer getting about eight, eight, eight catches in that opener. No doubt. Let's hope. Let's hope. Jeff Weimer, one of the big newcomers for the Rebels. Juco transfer. And JBT's been out at UNLV practice a couple of times. You see the wide receiver core yep. is bigger. Weimer is about 6'2", 215. We talked to Kyle Williams this morning. I'll have to put some videos out on Kyle, the number one returning receiver. And Kyle did make a comment about Weimer that all the receivers have said, like, this guy has different level hands, right? He's going to be the guy. I think he's going to be going over the middle a lot. He's going to be the guy getting whacked, you know, no alligator arms. And I think he can do it, but he's bigger. You know, he's not your, you know, he's not your 5'9 or 5'10 guy. So one thing to build on with what Kevin Richardson was saying there, and Kevin's the color voice for San Jose State, played at Stanford. And I am fascinated by the whole Stanford-Cal thing. I really am about what's going to happen with the Pac-12. That was amazing that some, what, 15 years ago now, 13 years ago now, Stanford president's like, yeah, I'm not doing the arms race thing. And then you bring in Jim Harbaugh. Yep. And if you think now, they don't have to disclose what David Shaw makes. David Shaw is actually like a top seven paid college football coach. I think he makes somewhere between seven and nine million dollars a year. Stanford fully jumped in on football. And I love the point. Like that's the kind of stuff that people don't talk about with the football program serving as an arm of public relations. Duke basketball is the same thing. Notre Dame football has benefited from this extremely. When your football program has a big name, you make money off of it. Lots of money off it. Even something as basic as your applications. He said their applications jumped to 52000 a year. No one gets into Stanford. Like, the process to get in is incredibly arduous. Um, I think their app fee now is 90 bucks. So just like that... <laughs> is generating money because they're going to turn down 95% of the people. But that's it's always been this argument when you're a good academic school, how much do you invest in football? When people see the numbers, like, this is crazy. Yeah, but do you know how much money if the program is good and you're bringing in bowl money and you're actually getting crowds and then the pub for your school and then fundraising and all that? Um, what's going to happen here the next two or three years with both Cal and Stanford? Because you don't hear them mentioned in any of this. Like any of this... Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Big 12. You don't hear any of it with those two schools. But they are going to land somewhere, and they're not dropping football, and they're not dropping all of their excellent non-revenue sports. I don't think you heard nothing. I mean, I think we've heard Stanford and Cal once or twice in terms of the markets in California to grab if you're some of these. By the way, I did the math really quickly in my head. Uh, $4.68 million just from I was just application calculator. fees. Yeah. Four, so nearly $4.7 million yeah. just in applications. That was the jump when they really invested in football. That is wild. But I, and I also, because I think you're right, and Shaw, like getting that much money, he can be viewed as a safe choice, but it's also kind of a smart choice, right? Like, 
their their feet are it seems are in both like in both fires to a certain extent. Like, are they invested in football? Yes, but not to the point where like Shaw's been okay. He's been solid, but he's been good enough to give you a baseline of play that your program's always going to be there in terms of being competitive and especially with the other teams in your conference, and they're a good enough football program that's attractive while being in a market that's attractive as well. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Moving towards the halfway point here at Silver 7s. Happy hour still going down, 277 on lots of the drinks at the Bud Light Lounge. We're getting ready for a kickoff 40 minutes from now. Raiders, Hall of Fame game. Probably see a lot of the threes and fours, a little bit of the twos. I don't think you'll see any of the starters. Over, under. I won't even do it because I'm not going to I'm not gonna track it close under. enough. So I won't even know. I was going to say over, under on starters, potential starters. Because we don't know who the starters are, so I can't. we can't even do it. There's like there's 28 candidates to start. I was going to say over, under on starters who play. And my guess would be it's like seven, and that's probably high. I was going to say, we don't know who they are, but McDaniels has an idea who they are, and I'm going to go under. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's the Hall of Fame game. And it's funny from, like, so, like, the betting market stuff, it was interesting because you see all this information, right? So the information came out. Raiders, likely not to play anybody. Line goes from Raiders minus one and a half to Jags minus one. And I'm like, wow, shocking news. Hall of Fame game. Ra- starters aren't going to play. That's crazy. Then the news comes out. Jacksonville starters aren't going to play. Line goes from Jacksonville minus one to Raiders minus two, now two and a half. It's like, I get we react to information, but did we really expect that Trevor Lawrence and Derek Carr were going to do battle on the Hall of Fame, like the Hall of Fame game on Thursday? Schefter, uh, players not playing for the Jags tonight. Travis Etienne, C.J. Beathard, okay. Yeah, I don't. C.J. Beathard was the highest-rated quarterback by PFF passing standpoints last year in the preseason. I'm not mocking on him. I don't know why I said C.J. Beathard like I was going to mention Bobby Beathard. I, I was a weird <laughs> pronunciation. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones, Christian Kirk, Trevor Lawrence, Evan Ingram, James Robinson, Devin Lloyd, Josh Allen, Brandon Scherf, and there's like 10 more beyond that. So nice. no one's playing. And the same will be the case with the Raiders. So later in the show, we will hit one of the big news items of the day, and that is Brittany Griner finally got through the Russian justice system. <laughs> Yeah, which is laughable, right? Nine years for a vape pen. So I just want you to I want you to file that away for a second. And I also I want people to watch what's going on on social media when they talk about a vape pen. Okay. And let's talk about Aaron Rodgers using ayahuasca. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers and what he uses to get ready for the football season to become more open-minded. And I want I want Brittany Griner and a vape pen as the backdrop on this. Yeah. I, I find it fascinating what Rodgers did here. Essentially using DMT to get ready for a regular season, which is absolutely incredible. So you see, like, the reports coming out and Aaron Rodgers on some weird podcast. Can I just say – Aaron Rodgers is kind of a cliche. Like he, at this point, we know exactly what he is. Like dating a Wiccan and doing off-season trips and everything like that. But apparently, uh, before he won his back-to-back MVPs, he wanted to talk about his quote challenging journey to self-love and mental health, in which he spoke about he used ayahuasca, a plant that contains a hallucinogenic drug DMT. Which I don't know whoever's listening. Eight-year-old JVT may or may not have watched, like, a lot of videos on DMT 
and may or may not have really wanted to do DMT <laughs> and may or may not still want to do DMT. Uh, but still, right. so it just helped him open his mind. Rogers told the, the podcast host that he does not believe it is a coincidence that he won back-to-back MVP awards after taking the psychedelic and tripping out in the desert naked. I added that last part. Uh, quote, the fear around it is you're going to bleep, your, uh, bleep yourself. It's just a big throw-up fest, but the negative framework of it, that this is the experience, not the deep and meaningful and crazy mind-expanding possibilities and also deep self-love and healing that can happen on the other side. I had a magical experience with the sensation of feeling a hundred different hands on my body, imparting a blessing of love and forgiveness for myself and gratitude for this life from what seemed to be my ancestors. What seemed to be my ancestors. Could also be the upside-down opening up and demons just coming and trying to take your body. Hey, cool. Do what you do, man. You know, if that broadens your, uh, broaden, broadens your horizons, if I can say it, your horizon, whatever. Um, go ahead and do it. Is that legal in the U.S.? That's the other. I was, I was wondering. I, th- yeah. I feel like I, ayahuasca, yeah. I don't know. Is ayahuasca legal? I don't know. Every fictional account of doing this and not fiction um, seems to be out of the country. Let me look this up really quick. Uh, ayahuasca, uh, illegal under federal law. Right. <laughs> Schedule one substance. So when you when you hear people lecturing about the good old Russians yeah. and a vape pen. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're being very serious about this. Can I add? I, no, no. I'm, I, I have no problem with Rogers doing it. Yeah. I, when I've seen pieces on this. Like, I kind of don't get it. I don't think I'd want to do it. It seems like a horrendous experience. I guess, in many cases, it's actually used as rehab, right? To yeah. get people off of whatever, like heroin or I don't know, whatever, what other drugs. You also have to, good, you have, to have a good, like, call them a babysitter, trip setter, whatever you want to do. You got to have a really calm person with you the whole time. Because you can't have somebody being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, man. I think somebody's coming. I think the cops are here. Because you're going to be sitting in the passenger seat like, oh, my God, what's happening? And the trip is going to be absolutely terrible. R-E-L-A. Okay, there you go. Yes, relax. Did, did, did he, I was going to say, did he finish relax? <laughs> relax. He got so high he couldn't finish spilling the word. Uh, give me some crunch, crunch. I'm going to read you a headline, and I, but I think the initial reaction is relax, but maybe I don't want to relax. Maybe there could be something here. Report Matthew Stafford dealing with, quote, bad elbow tendonitis. I don't know that he's going to play at all in the preseason. I don't think he's throwing at all, which means the Wolfman is probably going to get most of the time. John Wolford is going to get most of the time for the Rams. Is he? Or is he going to be the third string guy? Sean McVay, since he's coming to the league, has been very anti-preseason. None of his teams Good point. He never had, He never had golf throw in the preseason. Yeah. Like if you look by one of the biggest trends in preseason since he's come around is betting against the Rams, considering they play absolutely nobody. Never, even in these dress rehearsals, the time is scant. So I would assume that even with this tendonitis going on, that I mean, the playing time was going to be low for Stafford already. It's probably even lower now. That sidearm motion, man, really, really twerks the. Uh, it's also a lot of wear and tear over the years. He's played a lot of football. He's also been like quietly banged up. He plays their injury, but. He gets banged up quite a bit. He's a better Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger loves to be injured. Matthew Stafford's a quiet soldier. Oh, Roethlisberger loved it. Oh, it was like milked of- every freaking ounce he could out of it, and loved limping around and acting like he was, you know, 
Like, just the toughest guy ever, gutting it out. But if you watched, like, Lions game, Stafford one week would just pop up with, like, this massive elbow brace, and you'd be like, what, what happened to him? And he's just out there just slinging it around still, just trying. Trying his darndest. Let's give away some comedy tickets. Mirage, Ticketmaster.com is where we can grab the tickets. But we got two right now. It's a 10 o'clock show. It's coming up this Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Mirage, Anthony Bean, Chico Bean, August 6th at the Mirage. Caller 7364-1100. We are... About 15 minutes away from a spot I've been looking forward to for three weeks. Our buddy Brad Powers, our gambling expert on Thursdays, he does these road trips where he goes to college football stadiums. And, man, he sent us notes. I can't get everything in. This is fascinating. He hit all these cities in the south and the Midwest. This was a great freaking trip. and got kind of crazy at times. Daily happy hour specials from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., including 277 for pint shots and margaritas at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens. Pull up a chair and take a look at the agony of the gentleman who was caught in the pothole at 14. And you're too old to laugh or cry, but he took the laugh. But that was short-lived, as the poet says. Now it's exasperation, desperation. If I can't get at that way, what other possibilities do I have? Rick now looks at the ladder and says, maybe I could use the ladder. Well, he could use it to climb out, and the ladder prevented him from getting out. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Ah, the great Vince Scully. Also called some PGA events. Some poor guy was in a uh, pot bunker. And uh, that was like his eighth shot, banging it against the ladder, but he kept hitting against the side. He finally hit it out, and Scully just just nailing it with the story. John's got a bunch of good things to say about Scully in the grab bag. That's coming up in about an hour and 20 minutes. Silver Sevens, you want to sign up for the A-Play card. Great giveaways, like in August, the Wednesday great gas giveaway. $50 gas cards go out. After six, every 15 minutes. Come on, right? We all need a little help. Silver 7's hooking you up with gas cards. Giveaway starts at 6 o'clock. That's every Wednesday in October. So, I was just telling you a story about uh, a tweeter was going back and forth on, like, um, restaurant prices. And actually was talking about this area down here, right? We're Mm -hmm. at Paradise and Flamingo. And I'm down here all the time, right? Because... UNLV is right here, so I'm over at UNLV basketball practice, UNLV football practice. And by the way, for folks who don't follow me on Twitter, at Steve Cofield, at me, JVT, at Caleb Herring, underscore, uh, someone is out there you know, with the station or tied to the station pretty much every practice and putting out comments, videos. There's conversations going on, so go check out Twitter for that one. So for me, I'm down here, like especially on Thursdays. I'm down in the area. I was done today at 11.15. I got lazy. I didn't go to UNLV basketball practice. I could have gone. Um, But I was a little hungry, right? And uh, even though I'm chubby, I often have, like, anxiety about picking somewhere to go eat because inevitably, because I'm a pisser and moaner, I'm not going to like what I picked, and I'm like, eh, should have gone there. So I decided on a whim. I'm like, you know what? It's 92. It's 53% humidity. I need some hot soup. And this is something that Adam Hill and I talked about the other day, about does, does hot coffee or hot soup cool you down on a, on a hot day? It doesn't. 
Although I think no. he found some research that technically maybe it does, maybe, maybe makes you sweat, whatever. Um, so I went to get some pho. Did you see the tweet with the pho? I saw it. Are you a pho guy? I mean, I haven't had it enough to be a pho guy, but I enjoyed it. Every Are you a ramen guy? Yes, love ramen. More, so you're more ramen over pho right now. Right, because I've had ramen more. Okay. So it's not anything against pho. I've just, Pho's tremendous. I've had, actually, the best pho I've ever had was homemade oh. pho, which was oh. awesome. Yeah. Who did that? Uh, it was my sister's roommate at the time. Oh, it's beautiful. His name was Ray. I haven't seen him since I was, like, in my teens. So, Ray, if you're listening, thanks for the pho, dude. You guys order out a decent amount, right, every once in a while? Yeah. So you notice prices have gone up? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't want to be extremely gripey because I want to support local businesses, and I understand food costs have gone up. I understand. But I will say, pho is, is like a really nice, cheap option for a, a good-sized meal. ton of broth, the noodles, you get some meat in there, some vegetables, you hoisin, whatever, you can spicy stuff, right? It's good. I went to a place today. The bowl of pho was $15. I'm like, is that a lot? Yeah, because it... What's the average price? I mean, believe it or not, you used to be able to get, like, in, within the last, say, like, 10 years, you could get a, a good-sized bowl of pho for, like, 8 bucks. Um, so I went to a place. I hadn't been there in, in a year and a half, and I was like, 15? I'm like, it's a giant bowl of soup. But I appreciate it. I can't make it. So actually, I drove somewhere else, and I probably, played, probably paid as much in gas to go to the next place um, and got the... The big bowl of pho. But I was actually having a conversation with a listener who actually recognized what place it was. And, you know, as he called it, peasant food, right? And that's not an insult. Every supposed to be cheap. Every cuisine has, every uh, you know, ethnicity has that, you know, there's some foods that are like basic foods that, yeah, I mean, they don't cost a lot of money. Like it's kind of necessary for the culture, right? Hell, if you want to go even to like New Orleans, right? The, the name Po' Boys, I was watching something on that the other night. It was like, you know. Hundred years ago, people just needed some cheap food. Slap some stuff on whatever you had, on some French bread, and let's go. So I feel like pho is not supposed to be fifteen bucks. But then I started going down the list of like different things that have gone up like fifty percent. So it's getting a little pricey. And I, and everyone's we we talked about it last week about you kind of you asking or getting what you ask for at a restaurant. Like you shouldn't feel guilty about it. You are paying money for the food. Right. So that's all I have. So go check out the picture of the pho. I'm a big soup guy. It looks good. Fifteen dollars for a bowl of soup, looks and big. that you're, you're you're not on the strip. Um, that seems a little crazy. This was ten bucks. So, and I actually wound up. I think I bought a you know I bought a can of soda for two. So you know obviously that that's marked up, and then threw the guy a five dollar tip. So I wound up paying more than I would. Well, probably not actually. Or probably would have paid more at the other place. But they uh they do the name thing on purpose, right? I mean it's it is it's Vietnamese, but I mean it is it is. It has so many possibilities. No, but I mean like the I'll say I'll say it another way. The king of pho. They do that on purpose, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean the I mean one of the best places in town I'll give them. I went to Pho Bistro. One of the ba- best places in town is Pho Kim Long. <laughs> they do I love saying it off the air. I'm not I can't say it too fast. But like that's on purpose. That has to be on purpose. I don't know if it's on purpose. I have seen some I've seen some amazingly creative the, names with pho. The pho king? Like they do that on purpose. They yeah, have you to got it. Yes. You're, you're right. You're right. I hadn't even I hadn't even thought of that one yet, but it's all over the country. So speaking of all over the country, Brad Powers 
college football expert, is going to give us some week zero line movements, week one line movements. But he went on about a 20-day tour of college football stadiums. The stuff that he saw, he came up with. Driving across this wonderful country, I can't wait to talk about this. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Company's eye on sports betting with Brad Powers. All right, let's do it. Our guy on college football, our guy on uh, sports betting, the pro, Brad Powers, is back with us. BradPowersSports.com. This guy is a—he's got a strange idea of what a vacation is, but I'm, I'm with him. I thought this was great. Brad, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Long time no talk. Yes, yes. So a couple of weeks on the road, hitting college football stadiums around the country. Uh, most important question to get out of the way, did you tabulate your total gas price? Oh, uh, you know what? I haven't yet. No, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I have a truck. I can get about 800 miles uh, to the tank. I think I filled up maybe seven times. So, uh, yeah, you know, probably in the $800 range, probably for gas. Nice. So you start out in Arizona. You snake your way kind of across the south. You turn north, go through Kentucky, Ohio. I think the what was the northernmost point you hit was what Michigan and Michigan State. Yeah, Michigan, Michigan State was the the farthest north I got. That that was north enough, especially after getting a a, a parking ticket uh, in oh. Michigan. I've been to forty stadiums the last two years, and illegally parked in a lot of them. I'll, I'll put it that way. Only ticket, uh, unfortunately, at the University of Michigan. How quick was the trigger on the the ticket? Like, how long were you gone from the car? 20 minutes. Oh. I was walking around the stadium. So he, what didn't help me was I was driving my dad's truck that day, and he has Ohio plates. So I'm guessing yep. that uh, that got me, put me behind the eight ball there. Did you get into either the Big House or Michigan State Stadium? I did not get into either one, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the big ones is just tough. I mean, and rightfully so. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, I just felt honored that every single group of five school I could get into, get on the field at most of them, a few power fives I could. I would say the most interesting thing, there's two things. Michigan, it was cool. You know, if you understand the Michigan campus, uh, Chrysler Arena, the home of the basketball team, is right next door to the big house. And just so happens, Juwan Howard was walking out. I'm, I'm wearing a Notre Dame hat, and he said hi to me. So <laughs> I, he, Howard. His, his power rating goes way up as far as I'm concerned. Oh, really nice okay. guy. I don't, so I don't know what all the hubbub about, you know, hitting him, but really nice guy. Thumbs up there. A Michigan State, for me, was, I mean, they literally have, like, a car repair shop underneath one side of the stadium. I mean, they're working on cars and trucks. I- I'm guessing it's part of one of the school programs there, but, I mean, I found that very intriguing. Yeah, I went to, I think I went to Michigan State. The, I was in the stadium in, like, 89. And the one thing I remember is, of all the stadiums around the country, the, the fans may be the closest to the field versus there. It's they're like, they are on top. There's no room on the sidelines. They've redone it recently. I would like to see how close it is. Okay. Uh, I mean, I can tell you the area around it was really nice. I was impressed with Michigan State. I, I like what I, I, I would. I liked Michigan State more than Michigan. Okay, I like what you had to say about a lot of campuses, um, big and small, because you kind of took that into account. Like what was around the stadium and you had a lot of good things to say about you know like lafayette like around the stadium was cool but you talked a lot about the atmosphere around the stadiums that you liked well i mean some of it 
actually couldn't get into the stadium. So, I mean, there, there was a reason behind that. But, you know, I'm always looking at, like, what's the town like? Uh, what's the overall vibe? I know it's not a, you know, a college Saturday in the fall, but, you know, what's the overall mood on the campus like? You know, I thought Vanderbilt, for it was 6 a.m. I was on that campus because I stayed just outside of Nashville one night. Uh, I couldn't believe, I mean, we're talking in the middle of summer, 6 a.m. I think it was like a, a Tuesday I'm there. I mean, there's people everywhere, running, walking. It looked like a lot of people were going to class. I didn't see too much action as far as people going to class at the Alabamas and the LSUs of the world, but I, you know, stuff like that just intrigues me. I mean, even seeing Mike the Tiger, which is literally, uh, I mean, I posted this in the video, uh, right next door to the LSU Stadium. I thought that was cool. Wait, Mike the Tiger. What would tell people what that is? <laughs> it's a Bengal tiger. It's the mascot for LSU. So, okay. uh, you know, a real live tiger. And uh, I mean, they have it set up. I mean, his habitat's you know better than you know better than my place and better than pretty much anybody's yard here in Vegas. I know it's not saying much considering the drought, but I mean, he's got an unbelievable habitat to say the least. Brad, I'm not really good with, like, geography when it comes to college, some of these universities and college <laughs> programs. What was the D2 campus you visited in Lawrence? What was that thing? A dump. Uh, <laughs> I, and, you know, I don't like to talk negatively uh, about much of it. And almost everything was positive. A lot of them exceed my expectations. But I got to tell you, I mean, if you want to know why Kansas is the wor- has been the worst Power 5 team in the country last decade plus, no, look no further than that stadium. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I would take almost every single group of five stadium that I saw over it. That's how bad it is. Yeah, it's funny on your tweet when you when you uh, put up the picture. I've been, you know, I've been busting Kansas fans. I'm like, hey, welcome to the Mountain West. You know, when this whole thing breaks up and there's only two <laughs> big conferences, um, and I ranked, I ranked stadiums in the Mountain West, and I put Kansas at like tenth. I was, I was kind of joking because I know watching it on TV, it looks like a dump. But you're, you're exactly right. You can see from Group of Five and then especially up to Power Five, the schools, it's just its just the way of the world now. You have to use that money you get, especially in Power Five, to invest in football. And Kansas has been incredibly cheap. Like, it's the best of the best for KU basketball, but they don't care about the football program. Yeah, very well said. Uh, I, I like to think of the football program, the stadium, whatnot, is the front porch to your university. And I got to tell you, even of the group of five, even with what limited money they have, I mean, everything was clean at most of those. And they've redone turf. Stadium looks, I mean, clean on the outside as far as landscaping inside. I know it's easier, you know, in the off season, but I mean, everything's, you know, in tip top shape. Uh, I didn't get that feeling around Kansas. So, and I then, mean, you get what you pay for. It's like anything else in life. And then people wonder why, you know, Kansas State is not a great academic school. KU is. Right, but Kansas State's unbelievable football because they spend the money on football. And you said actually Manhattan, Kansas is pretty nice, right? Yeah, I was shockingly surprised on how good of a college town it was. I mean, they have all downtown. I mean, this, it probably helped. It was a Friday night, but I mean, their entire downtown. They had outdoor seating, patio. I mean, and all the restaurants. They had even restaurants with rooftop type stuff. I mean, we're just talking. This is a relatively mid-sized fifty thousand. Uh, population uh, mid-sized town in America, in middle America, and I was, and there was a good vibe, young and old, hanging out with one another, uh, you know, like it should be. Uh, and, and on top of it, I mean, you talk about money. I mean, they're, they're building brand, brand new. Uh, I'm guessing in the hundred million dollar range for indoor practice facility right next door to the stadium, and they've already, you could tell, have done significant upgrades and renovations to the actual stadium. So, that, to me, I can my. 
my takeaway from there is that's a that's a team, uh, not only a, a town, but also a program acting like they want to be top twenty five town. Brad Powers with us. BradPowerSports.com, at BradPowers7 on Twitter. Uh, we, we'll hit on this trip you know, multiple times moving up, and uh, we'll close on something that was really interesting because you had a confrontation with uh, law enforcement. Oh, uh, but I did want to get your updates out there on some movement, uh, especially at places like the South Point that are aggressive and putting up games of the year. I mean, it is a common theme by the numbers that people are all over Southern Cal, and you've been warning folks that you, maybe you shouldn't be so gung-ho. And these number changes are crazy. Yeah, so I posted this yesterday, you know, the biggest movers as far as the game of the year lines that South Point put out. You know, the, this is well over a month ago at this point. And out of the top seven, USC has three of them. In fact, they have three of the top four. I will say this, though. As, much, as, as negative and pessimistic as I am about USC, I have bet their season win total under nine and a half. I think they're improved, but I also think they're the most overrated team, at least in the markets. Futures markets are like the fifth or sixth shortest favorite to win the title. I can bet – you can talk me in it to bet on any team uh, at any number. And I got to tell you, I have those USC tickets. I, I thought Chris Andrews at the South Point was way too low on USC. So I, I have USC plus five against Notre Dame. I have USC plus five against UCLA. I, I thought those lines – you know, that they have moved the USC favorite in both spots. I thought those lines should have been more in the pickup range. Another game to talk about. Washington's playing Michigan State. That one's moved. Yeah, you know, again, it was, you know, I'll give Chris credit. I mean, he didn't look at any other previous. I can tell he didn't look at any other previous lines that are out in the market. Michigan State in that game was like a two, two-and-a-half point favorite. He opened Michigan State a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I will say intriguing to that one. I'm pretty high on Michigan State, at least relative to market expectations this year. I made a lot of bets. I'm up to 282 bets already. <laughs> there is a couple that, I believe it or not, Brad Bowers likes to talk, uh, talk himself up all these great lines he gets. I do make mistakes. I, I'm human. One that I would like to have back, I, I bet Washington out of their season went so After going through their team position by position, I think I made a mistake in that bet, so I understand the Washington money. All right. Brad Powers, at Brad Powers 7 on Twitter, bradpowersports.com. Uh, what do you got running right now in terms of uh, prices and specials up on the website? Because I know you were doing a really good deal over the summer. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Uh, first off, follow me on Twitter, at Brad Powers 7 and get all those uh, stadium tour. I, I did a video at each stadium. Nice. Number two, if you, uh, you want to sign up for the season, I have a weekly newsletter. It's 89 bucks for the entire season, college football, and the NFL. Hey, Brad. Or what? No, go ahead. I, I had a question. Just overall, when it comes to like week zero, week one, these numbers have been up for such a long time now. Like, How mature are those, those numbers and those lines? Like, If we're being honest and somebody hasn't do, like, dove in and bet some of these, how untouchable are some of these numbers since they've been up for so long and guys like you have been playing them? Well, that's a really good question, uh, you know, because a lot of people are going to be asking me, hey, what's the best? What, right. what are the best? I bet almost every single game <laughs> so far, believe it or not. But, you know, th- there was a reason why I bet at that time. They were relatively soft when they opened up. And, you know, particular to this year, the entire board opened up in May. I yep. mean, that's never happened before. Usually it opens about this time of year. And maybe, you know, the last week in July where they opened Sure, they'll have the big games of the week up, the Mich- uh, you know, the Ohio State Notre Dame type of games for week one, but never like Charlotte, Florida, Atlantic in week zero. That line has been out for two and a half months at this point. So 
I mean, if it was wrong, especially now you can bet at almost every single sports book in the world, you can get enough down on that game right now if you thought you had a real good, you know, the feel for the game or you had a real good edge. So my thought process is this. I mean, at least as far as those FBS versus FBS games, I'm not going to have too many more bets there. What I'm waiting for is obviously injuries to pop up during fall camp. That'll start next week because as they moved up, uh, for, you know, padded practices. And then the other thing is I bet the FCS too. So there are like 50-plus FBS versus FCS games. That's where I'm going to have most of my money, you know, tied up in the next couple of weeks. Look ahead because it's uh, here in Vegas. BYU is playing Notre Dame. Right now I'm seeing Notre Dame 7 at Allegiant. I'm going to throw a little snitch out there on this one because common belief on this game has been anytime BYU plays in Vegas, BYU gets all the tickets. I was told by sources that Notre Dame came in super hard, the fans, and that BYU got, like, none of the tickets. Oh, wow. I mean, and what's that worth? I mean, at least a half point or so. Uh, and if you're around a key, very key number, seven. Seven's the most key number in college. You know, NFL is three, college is seven. So, yeah, I mean, that could make a difference. I'll say this. I mean, generally speaking, I wanted to bet BYU in the game, but Notre Dame also has a bye week coming off of that. So I do think, you know, maybe you think, you know, it's BYU Super Bowl and Notre Dame might be overlooking a BYU team. I think the bye, the bye week, especially for a first-year coach, I mean, you're kind of underwater there for a little bit. Maybe, you know, finally catches his breath, Marcus Freeman, getting that bye week. I would lean Notre Dame at maybe not seven. I think you can get five and a half, six right now if you shop. Brad, what was the best thing you ate on the trip? I only have 30 seconds left. Well, there's something that blow, blew you away because, uh, you know, I, I love traveling, and I, I love, obviously, picking up food in different regions. Uh, you know, I, actually, it's a drink. Back home, I had an Amish peach cider mixed with a Kentucky bourbon. I don't know, Ooh, it kind of okay. tastes like a, a really good old-fashioned. All right. So much more to get to on this trip. I'm so excited to have you on again next week, and we'll talk a lot more football and betting lines. Brad, thanks, man. That was great. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Take care. There he is, Brad Powers. Next week, I have to ask him how fast he was driving. I swear to God, as I was following it, like he was getting to places. Oh, I got a, I got a lead foot when I'm traveling, so I'm down with that. You're not driving slow to see all the sights? No. It's not happening? We come back, 5 o'clock hour, Silver 7s. We'll get you an update on the Hall of Fame game. Weather delay?